0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to The River Podcast, where you can find messages to help you strengthen your walk with Christ and refresh your soul. Here's our message from this past week. How do you preach after that, right? What do you say, right? In fact, when I was, uh, when I was just sitting there, you know, during worship and Gabby was, you know, was worshiping, we just got into a place where it just got so deep and I started asking God, I said, God, you know, should I even preach this message? Like, you know, what do, I, what do I say in this moment, God? And I felt like the Lord was telling me that they need to know you. I said, what do they need to know? I ain't gonna tell them everything. But he said, they need to know you. And since it's been a, a day of testimony, I'm going to have you turn with me first to the scripture where... I am still going to speak from a little bit. But I'm going to share a bit of my testimony before I get there. Is that all right? I'll try not to keep you too long, but I'm just going to share a piece of it so that way you understand where I stand when it comes to God, who He is, and how I trust in Him, and how I got here, all right? If you would turn to 2 Thessalonians three eleven fifteen, 15, that's where we're going to be for tonight. And before we do that, can we just stand to our feet and turn about 45 degrees to your right and put your hands together for Vinny and Natasha. (laughs) Louder, man. Yo, thank you so much. I had to do that because you have no idea. When I, when I came here to preach, the about you guys may see may be seated. When I came here to preach, um, I guess you would say for the first time, but, you know, about a few weeks ago, before I even knew that this opportunity would open up, um, Vinny was the one who was communicating with me, Vinny, both Vinny and Natasha. And getting me here to preach and setting everything up and from the time I came to the time I left, it just felt so organized and just so so special. And... I Trust me, I've preached in many places, and this is the most special I've felt in years. And so, just to let you know, this comes from Jen, I'm sure, but you guys are doing such a great job. Great job. Thank you, Anne-Marie. She had to sneak out of here. <laughs> well, just, just to really catch you up, this is where I'm going to start, uh, before I was even saved. Um... I had dreams to pursue a rap career. I came from the Air Force. I did four years in the Air Force and I had dreams to pursue a rap career. And I ended up uh, selling all my stuff and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I was there for about a year and a half. And while I was up there, I was producing. I was uh, performing. I was going to clubs and all types of stuff. Um, By the time my career started kind of picking up a little bit, I was going to South Carolina. And putting my music into the clubs, and I would watch people dance to my music, and I'm like, this is, you know, for me, I thought it was life, but it really wasn't, it was death. But as I'm watching people dance to my music, I was like, I made it, I'm, I'm coming up. One day, I, I go to work, and I was working a sunglass hut in a mall in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, somewhere, I can't remember, Lenox Mall. And while I was there, a girl came, and she dropped off a flyer at the, at the desk, And she said, here's a flyer to this club that is going to be on tonight. Won't you come over? And I said, well, are you going to be there? She said, yeah, I'm going to be there. I said, okay, then I'm there. That's the kind of person I was. I was horrible. And so (laughs) I told my friend, I said, hey, will you come with me? He said, sure, I'll come. So we go out. We went out to the city, and we started looking at every building for the number of this place that she gave us, and we couldn't find it. We drove around that place for about an hour. And at the end of the night, he, he stopped and he pulled over. He said, hey, look, I got a wife and kids. I got to go home, man. I said, no problem. You go ahead and do your thing. I stayed back and I looked for it for another half an hour and I still couldn't find the place. So I gave up finally and I went home. And when I got home that night, it was about maybe 1.30 in the morning or so. I put on some TV. I wasn't satisfied by that. I went to go produce some music. I wasn't satisfied by that. Nothing brought satisfaction that night. I was just frustrated. I don't know where it was coming from. So I went to sleep at around maybe 2, 2:30. And as I was asleep that night, I woke up at 5 a.m. Five o'clock in the morning, I woke up. I didn't have a dream, but I just woke up screaming and running. uh, If I I were to to demonstrate what I did that night, everyone here would walk out of the room. But I woke up screaming and running out of my bed. I, I went to the door. I tried to pull the door open. I wasn't crazy because I remember I locked it. So I tried to get it open. It wouldn't happen. Finally, when I got the door open, I'm still screaming. I run downstairs about halfway down the stairs. I just felt a spirit just lift. To give you an idea of what it felt like, it felt like I was awakened by a spiritual sound. It was like a roaring lion or a bunch of people screaming at once, like, Rah! And it woke me up. And when I ran, I felt the spirit coming in and being pulled out, coming in and being pulled out as if it was on a leash. So when I hit the stairs, I was in the middle of the stairs panting, and I felt it leave. But I was right there breathing, going, what just happened to me? I'm 25 years old, I got a whole life ahead of me, I'm I'm not bothering anybody, I'm just living my life, why would this happen to someone like me? And I couldn't understand it. And I was living with my brother at the time, he comes out of his door, he steps out and he looks over, he sees me in the middle of the stairs, he goes, "Jamil, is that you? I said, yeah. He goes, were you screaming? I said, yeah, that was me. He goes, why? I said, I don't know. I went back upstairs, and his girlfriend was living with us at the time, and she was on the bottom, um, she was, they were fighting, I guess, she was in the, in the guest room downstairs. She opens it up, and I see her, and I said, Nisha, come on out, it's Jamil." She goes, "She goes, what's going on? I said, I don't know, I just woke up screaming and running. She said, what? That's weird, why? I said, I have no idea. And I'm afraid to say anything else, because at this point, I was thinking to myself, if I say anything, I'm just going to look more crazy. And they would just like, you know, call, you know, get me committed or something. So at this point, we're having a conversation, me, my brother, his girlfriend. And I look at my brother, and my brother says to me, by the way, he wasn't going to church, living his life just like me. He's living, sleeping with his girlfriend, all types of stuff. But he looks at me, and the countenance in his face changes. And the only way I could explain it is that he looked innocent. And he said to me, there was something in that room that you feared. And you should not fear anything but God, because what you fear is what you worship. This is coming from a guy who is living his life like me. And after he said it, I looked at him, I said, I I said to myself, maybe I should ask him to say that again. But I didn't. But by the time... He was done. I called my mom. I said, mom, something's going on with me. I think I'm going crazy. She said, what happened? I told her. She said, pull out your Bible. I said, let me go find it. It's in my closet somewhere. It was still in a, in a case. I never opened it. I cracked it open for the first time. She said, turn to Psalm 23. I turned there. She said, mark that place. She said, turn to another scripture. The only one I remember is Psalm 23. But she t- she gave me four scriptures. And by the time I got them, she prayed with me and I held my brother's hands and I kneeled on, on I kneeled down that day and I prayed a prayer, which some of you guys today would call a sinner's prayer, but I didn't even know what it was. I just knew that I didn't want to live a life that I was living, but I was ready to live for God, whoever He was. And so at that point, I picked up the Bible and I went to my room and I kept reading the Bible. I read Psalm 23 over and over and over again. Then I read Psalm 5, which was another one she gave me, over and over and over again. And Psalm 4, over and over and over again. In so much that I I memorized all three. I kept reading that for day in and day out. I would never put down the Bible because every time I put it down, I felt tormented. Every time I picked it up, I felt normal. And that was something my dad said to me on the phone too. He said, Jermil... People who are screaming and running out of their sleep is not normal. I said, "I know, Dad." He said, "Well, find out why you're not normal and fix it." I knew what he meant. In other words, find God. So the next morning, I go to work and I'm reading my Bible. And then a week goes by. I come to my brother and I, I I'm getting ready to tell him, "Hey, man, I think it's time for me to go back home to Florida." But right before I open my mouth, he said, "Hey, man, I think it's time for you to go back home to Florida." I said, well, I was just about to say that. He goes, yeah, well, we're on the same page. He said, so pack your stuff. So I had a week to leave. I go to my job, and I tell my boss, hey, I'm, I need to leave. I need to go. Prior to me leaving, her assistant manager just left, and she was angry at her and talking behind her back. And imagine how I would, I would feel now to tell her that I'm getting ready to leave, too. So I approached her, and I told her I'm getting ready to leave, and she got so upset. But then she said, you know What? I love you so much. Where are you going? I said, uh, I'm going to Florida. She said, where? She said, I said, Boca Raton. I said, Boynton Beach. She said, how, how close is that to Boca Raton? I said, it's very close to Boca. She said, well, I got a best friend over there who actually is the manager of that place. I can hook you up. I said, all right. She called her right then and there. She called the Go figure, right? She calls the lady in Boca, Sunglass Hut in Boca, at the mall right here. And she says, hey, I got a guy for you. He's amazing. When he gets there, I don't even want you to interview him. I want you to just accept him right away. Do you have space? She said, no, we're full. She said, just take him. A week later, I get to Boca. I got a job right away. She gives me the job. And at the job, I I met this girl by the name of Sarah. She was leaving on Wednesday and said to me, hey, I got to go now. It's Wednesday. It's time to leave. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to choir practice. Oh, you go to church? She said, yeah, I go to church. I said, well, I'm looking for a church. She said, well, here's the information to the church. Thursday, which is tomorrow, there's a young adult service. You need to come to that first. I said, sure, why not? The, the week prior when I got to Florida, I went to my sister's church with a whole bunch of old people. I said, God, if this is what you want for me, I'll do it. I said, if this is what Christianity is, I'll just sit here with a whole bunch of old people and just, and just worship, and I'll, I'll just do it, God. And so I accepted that. But when I got to Thursday in this very room with a whole bunch of young adults, when I got into the room, what I saw blew my mind. People at the altar, tears in their eyes, hands lifted up, some kneeling on their chairs, broken, crying, crying out to God. And the moment I walked in this place, I knew I was home. I knew I was home. And at that point, my journey of, of, you know, God taking me up like a little tornado just began, like just moving me here, there, to Jubilee, and so on and so forth. But for a period of three years, God was telling me not to date anyone, not not to associate myself with anyone that way, but seek his face, get to know him, and that's what I did. I just read the Bible and got to know God for three years. But there was something that was weird about me during the period of those three years. I lost my personality. I had no idea who I was. I was still trying to figure out who I was. And I'm going to tie that in a little bit because at the age that you're at today, the young adult age, like Natasha, well, who, was, who said it? Was it? It was John Luke. John Luke. A lot of people have no idea who they actually are. Some of us, we go to church to figure out who we are. Some of us, we go to the club to figure out who we are. We hang out with friends and do all types of stuff to figure out who am I and what am I created for. So when you look in 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 15, I want to read this really quickly. And I'm going to get into this idea of Taking up the image of God once again. And it reads and it says, Yet here, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. He continues by saying, We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. And then he says, don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. Once again, the title of this message this evening is Take Up the Image. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for your image. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence here in this place. I thank you for Pastor Jen. I thank you for Pastor Solomon. I thank you for every pastor who's been here, Lord God, who's had a heart for young adults. I thank you, Lord God, for the future of this place. I thank you for every leader. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to empower us to do what you've called us and willed us to do in this lifetime. We thank you, Father. We bless your name in Jesus' name and all God's people say. Amen. So taking up the image of God once again. When, when I was asking God, what do I preach about tonight, he was telling me that this is what I needed to do, was to encourage you in knowing who you are and allowing you to see that you actually have authority and power and dominion over the earth and over spiritual things. Because often we forget that we are, are Christians, that we actually have what is called power. Can somebody say power? God wants you to know that you have authority and power and dominion on earth. When you know what you're created for, you live a life that's more abundant with purpose and also with intentionality. Amen. You see, in the garden, there was something that was kind of cool that happened. Man was created to have relationship, number one, with God, with himself or his wife. And he was also created to have relationship with God's creation. Man was also called to till the ground, which was work. The funny thing about that is a lot of us think that man was called to till the ground or work after the fall. That's not true. He was actually called to work, God said, till the ground before the fall. But what happened after the fall is that work became difficult. It became toiling. It became hard work. And he did it by the sweat of his brow. The third thing God did in the garden is that man was to have dominion over God's creation on earth. So what that tells me is you were created, if you didn't know, for three things specifically. You were created for love, for work, and for dominion. So you were created for love, which means relationship, for work, which is mission, and also for dominion, which is leadership, and also authority. And Jesus said that he came to give life and life more abundantly. But what does that actually mean? I believe that means that Jesus... To give us life and life more abundantly means that he came to bestow upon us the image that God had given to us in the beginning that at some point after the fall became broken, damaged, smeared, and marred. But when you take up Jesus into your life, that image becomes clear again on who you are, what you are called to do, and who you're called to be. You now have now the image of God upon you once again. And so in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul explaining how to conduct your life. He's talking to people who are already Christian, how to conduct their lives and teaching them how to, in a sense, take back the image of God. And he says in verse 1 that some are living idle lives. What he's saying is that there are some who just simply come and leave. They, they take up the religion and the tradition and they leave, but they're living idle lives What that means is they are existing, but they are not living. There's a difference between you existing on this earth and actually living on this earth because when you live, there is power in it. Have you ever seen someone who was maybe unconscious in a coma? They're still existing, but that's not living whatsoever. And so living demands three things, and these are the three things I'm going to talk to you about this evening. The first thing living demands is you got to move your hand. The second thing is that you got to move your heart, and the third thing is that you got to move your environment. And so, when we read chapter um, verse twelve, it says, "We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their living." How many women in this place could actually say that you you you're excited when when your man like just doesn't work, right? Like you're excited, the married people in this place, like, man, I I can't wait to get home and see my husband sitting on a couch and doing nothing, right? Said no one. And the truth is, work is something that we're supposed to do and enjoy, right? But the Lord taught us to pray like this. And Matthew says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And give us this day our daily bread is placed right in between two things. Number one, God's will being done. And number two, as we forgive. What that tells me is that if we want that daily bread or if we want to eat, there is the work that we must do in the will of God. And so to live that abundant life, any old work won't do. It's only the work of the cross. And when I'm talking about the work of the cross, you're automatically thinking Jesus' cross. No, I'm talking about your cross. There are two crosses, the one, the ultimate cross that Jesus took up. But there is a work that we are called to do, and Jesus said, take up your cross and do what? And follow me. And so that means this cross consists of sometimes forgiving people who has double-crossed you. This cross sometimes means that you have to go the extra mile for people. This cross often means that you have to love your neighbor. This cross often means that you have to sometimes love your enemy. And the thing about this cross is that, this work, I should say, is that the harvest, Jesus said, is plenty, but the laborers are few. Why are the laborers few? It's because not many people want to put in this kind of work. And the reason they don't want to put in this kind of work is because they don't know what they were created for. Because if you knew that you were created for work, this kind of work, you would know that the work is not meant to burden you. The work is meant to fulfill you. When I forgive you because you've double-crossed me, it's not because it it, it may feel a little bit counterintuitive to what I really want to do. But when I do that, it releases me from bondage. This work is called to release us. This work is called to deliver us. This work is called to to fulfill us in all the things that God is calling us to do. In verse 13, he says, as for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Wow, that's a heart issue. That's a heart thing. Never get tired of doing good. And the second point I'm going to bring out to you is that you must move your heart. He talks about idleness right in the beginning of this this passage. And you know what idleness comes from is when you're actually tired. You you pace around, you don't know what to do, you're you're tired. And when I think about being tired and idle, I think about King David. Do you remember in 2 Samuel 11, King David, I'm going to read it to you really quickly. It says in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab Out with the king's men and the whole Israel army, they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Raban, but David remained in Jerusalem. I'm going to stop right there. It's not up there. But (laughs) I want to point out something very important. Listen to what it says. At the time when kings go off to war. And then it says, David remained in Jerusalem. Let me say that again. At the time when kings went off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. At the time when King David was supposed to go out to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. And what was he doing in Jerusalem? You would think, okay, if he is feeling tired and overwhelmed, maybe he's resting. But David was not resting. You know what he was doing? In verse 2 it says... One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof. Pacing around on the roof. And that's when he sees Bathsheba. That's when he desires her. And that's when he sleeps with her. And that's when he kills her husband. When when you are tired, sometimes some of us are are just tired of, of a lot of things. Some of us are tired of fighting. Some of us are tired of serving. Let's be real. Some of us are tired of loving when we're not loved back. Some of us in this room are tired of giving when no one ever gives back to you. Some of us in this room are just simply tired of being good. But Paul says, never be weary of doing good. But King David was tired and now he's running idle. You know what running idle means? It means that you're spinning your wheels. You're burning out. When my car is, is, is messed up and I take it to the mechanic, you know the first thing he often does is he turns my car on and leaves it running idle. Why? For diagnosis. This is not when my, my mechanic turns the car on, puts it in park, and he goes, ooh, this is nice. You know, he starts to press on the gas as much as he can and tries to burn it out. That would be silly, right? But he leaves it to run idle so that he would diagnose it. When you are tired of whatever it is that you're tired of and you feel that your life is now getting to the point where it's (laughs) running idle, it's not time to do more. It's not time to add. It's not time to pace around. It's time to rest. It's time to take a rest. And so if you've been running idle, it's time for you to diagnose yourself. And find out what it is that God wants for you in this season and also the next. And as a Christian, once you begin to move move idle, something happens to your heart. And the problem with that is your feet can't move as a Christian if your heart don't move. See, once the heart moves is when the feet can move as a Christian. But if, if you start to run idle, you start to wear out and burn out. And so... There are some ways I believe we can move our hearts. Number one, by memory. What has God done for you in the past? Remember that. Number two, by prayer. Ask him, what do you want me to do, God? And number three, by association. Hang out with some people who are on fire for the Lord. In Proverbs 13 20, it says, he, walks with wise, he who walks with wise men will be wise. And it goes the other way around for the other person. So move your heart. Don't grow tired of doing good because you were created to love and for love. The third thing is this, move your environment. In other words, have dominion over it. In verse 14, it says, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would warn a brother or a sister. And what this is saying is, Listen to those and look around, those who are not doing so good. Don't follow them, but lead them. Take initiative. Have dominion over your environment. Be authentic with people. Hey, I've noticed that you've been slipping. Let's just get back on track here. I've noticed you haven't been the same. Let's get back on track here. And it's time for you to step up as a Christian and as one who bears the image of God to lead people in your life, you're called to lead me and I'm called to lead you. it's 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 a back and forth flow with everything. And so you are to be the head and not the tail in every situation, especially when it comes to the world. We're not supposed to be following what people say, but they should be following what we say. I'm gonna be honest with you, I, when I first got, you know, I was, just told you my story, and when I became a Christian, it was hard for me because every time I listened to, like, Christian rap, I couldn't because I was like, this person sounds like somebody else in the world. It's kind of weird. It's like you always compare them to somebody else, right? It's like, oh, this is so-and-so. He sounds just like Ludacris. It's like, should he? Right? It should be the other way around. More creativity should be flowing in this room than any other company in this, in this entire U.S., We have a creative God, and if we are like him in his image and his likeness, we should also be super creative. Amen. And so what I find is that many Christians want to do powerful moves and things like heal the sick and raise the dead and do what Jesus did, right? But what we find is a problem, and the problem is this. We want to have dominion in the places that we've never walked, and you can't bring spiritual healing, let's just say, to a sick body when you haven't been walking in the spirit. You can't command things in the spirit when you walk in the flesh more than you walk in the spirit. Stick with me for a second. Because what happens is that what you follow will, will often affect your leadership. But more than that, you can only influence the places that you dwell You can only have influence in the places where you dwell. You can't have dominion, in other words, if you don't know your domain. You cannot have have dominion if you don't know your domain. What that means is this, let me break it down for you if you don't understand this for a second. Take for example, a lion who grew up in the jungle and a, a lion who grew up in a zoo. Now, the jungle is a lion's what? It's his domain. He was created to rule that domain. He is created to lead in that domain. But if he grew up in a zoo, it would be you would do it would be an injustice for you to take that animal even as a grown lion to put him back in a zoo because he won't survive. Because what you've just done is you've raised somebody outside of their domain and 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 have an expectation for them to have dominion there. And it's just like us as Christians. If we're not walking in the domain that God has given to us, which is the spirit, we can't dominate. We can't rule. We can't have authority. And there is no power for the one who does not walk in that place. And so what that takes is for us to really be intentional about prayer about things like fasting, being intentional about wanting to be led by the Holy Spirit and asking God, what do you want for my life in this season right here, right now? I said to you earlier that I don't move unless God says so. Amen. You know, this whole, this whole approach about Jubilee Church and us closing it down, there are many opportunities for me to walk away. But as I told my congregation, I did not shut Jubilee Church down because it was hard. I shut Jubilee Church down because it was time. And God was moving in the time, and he's still moving now. But if I'm not walking in the spirit, then I can't do anything with power. So Genesis one twenty-eight kind of explains to us this dominion, and I'm closing right here, this dominion that God wants us to have. He says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply... And fill the earth and subdue it. And then he adds, and have dominion over. And then he starts naming things. But you think, okay, well, we just have dominion over the earth now. Then, well, guess what? You have more dominion. In Luke chapter 10, New Testament, verse 19, it says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread over scorpions and snakes. And I have given you power or authority over all the power of the enemy. In other words, you have dominion over the spiritual realm. And then in Romans chapter 6:14, he says, "For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but you are under grace." What does that tell me? That as a Bible-believing Christian, you have more power than you think. As a young adult who believes in Jesus, you have more power than you think. But the way to acquire that power is by who you follow and how closely you follow him. Because guess what, where Jesus walks is the domain we should be walking in. And if we're walking in the flesh and trying to do something in the spirit, it doesn't happen. And if we follow Jesus closely, we are walking on the right terrain. We are in the jungle that we were called to be in. But you cannot rule. You cannot rule in a place you are not familiar. Come on, can we give God a shout of praise. When I thought about the age group, the young adult age group, God gave me multiple dreams before coming here, and maybe one day you'll get to hear that testimony. So many dreams prior to coming here about God wanting me to, to lead the young adult ministries. And I kept on thinking about how powerful this age is, think about how, 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 how energetic and how powerful and, and, and the biggest thing, here's, here's the deal, the, the greatest theft that the devil can take from you is your personality. See, when I got saved, that was the problem. I came into this place and I said, God, what do you want of me? And I'm ready to move, but the problem was, I, I just thought, if I just made myself a little bit more shy then I would be accepted. If I, if I made myself a little bit more like the person next to me, then I would be accepted. But it was my young adult leader at the time who came to me and said, you have so much personality, but it's it's hidden. Where is it? He said, when I see you rap, there's something that happens you turn on. He said, I don't want you to lose that because that's something that God gave to you. It is a gift. And if you don't use it, it's saying, God, I don't want So many people in this room, you have great gifts, talents, you have potential that is hidden, it's it's locked in there somewhere. And some of you are afraid to use it because you're, 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 you know, you're weary of what people will say about you. Some of you are using your gifts, but you're using it at the wrong places because you're afraid of missing out on an opportunity, making it. Some of you are taking your gifts and you're using it in the wrong domain, but then you come to church and you say, I want power here. won't happen. But you'll never be satisfied in life until you're fully walking in the will of God. Everything else is salt water. If you were stuck in the ocean today and you wanted to survive and you started to drink salt water, all that would do is make you thirstier and thirstier until the inside of you would dry up. But that's what the pleasures of the world is. It's nothing but salt water. But Jesus said this to the lady at the well, the drink that I give to you, you will never thirst again. What he was saying is this, what I give to you, is satisfactory it's satisfaction for all the desires that you have of, of going here or going there or making it or or befriending so-and-so all those desires will be fulfilled once you begin to walk in what I've called you to walk in having love dominion and what was it? living for the Lord love work and dominion that's allowed Come on, somebody. LWD, y'all ain't get it. Love, work, dominion. If you take nothing else with you tonight, please go to sleep and say, God, how do I love like Jesus? God, how do I work like Jesus? And God, how do I dominate my environment like Jesus? because that's what he wants for you. Can we close our eyes for a quick second? If there's anybody in this room this evening, perhaps you've been asking God, what is my calling? What am I called to? Who am I? And you just don't know and you don't feel like you've been getting an answer. Tonight, I want to pray over you. If you would lift up your hands and I'll see you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see So many people. I don't want you to wait. Just come right up here. I'm going to pray over you right here tonight. Just come on up. I'm going to pray over you. There are callings all over this place. Callings all over this place. And until you fully surrender it all to Jesus, he cannot use you. He cannot use a half-willing person. God can't use a half-willing person. You have to be completely devoted undivided attention. God is saying, I got a call on your life so strong. You have no idea how you can change people, how you can change cities, how you can change networks, how you can change everything. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, and leave a rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the river YA. All of our links to keep in touch are down below. We hope this blessed you and we'll see you next time at The River. Come find life.